This is Guns and Butter. I see a lot of people making the mistake. They think, oh, the president is always in command. That's absolutely ridiculous, right? We see a case where Obama has explicitly repudiated a policy and Turkey and significant parts of the U.S. apparatus, i.e. Allen, are trying to keep that policy going. In other words, the the no-fly zone and the, and the uh, safe haven for terrorists, right? I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Webster Tarpley. Today's show, ISIS benefits as Turkey bombs Kurdish fighters. Webster Tarpley is an economic historian, author, and lecturer. He is author of Against Oligarchy, Surviving the Cataclysm, Your Guide Through the Worst Financial Crisis in Human History, 9-11 Synthetic Terror Made in the USA, Obama, the Unauthorized Biography, and co-author of George Bush, the unauthorized biography. He is a leader and activist with the United Front Against Austerity and the Tax Wall Street Party. On today's program, we discuss the safe haven or no-fly zone in northern Syria on the Turkish border, the three different Kurdish groups who are fighting ISIS terrorists, and the duplicitous role of Turkey in the conflict. Webster Tarpley, welcome. Thank you so much for inviting me. I have read that the Kurds now control most of Turkey's 560-mile border with Syria, except for a small 68-mile corridor between the Syrian border towns of Kobani and Azaz, west of the Euphrates River. You have written that, quote, General John Allen and Turkish President Erdogan are struggling desperately to keep the 68-mile-wide door open. What is significant about the 68-mile corridor between Turkey and Syria? Well, the 68-mile corridor, the 68-mile-wide window, is absolutely critical because this is how the brutal butchers and rapists of ISIS, right, this monstrous uh, operation against human civilization as we've known it, this is how they get their supplies. The supply lines for ISIS come out of Turkey, and that includes uh, a flow of recruits, dupes, fanatics, psychotics, uh, and so forth, who come to to join them, and these people are truly the scum of the earth. You've also got uh, ammunition, all the logistics, the sinews of war. Uh, You've also got the ability of ISIS to send things out through that 68-mile window, and we've just uh, been told by Thierry Maison and some other people in the Middle East that uh, the president of Turkey, this man Erdogan, Erdogan's son is actually the principal wholesaler of oil stolen by ISIS in northern Iraq primarily and then shipped uh, through tank trucks and and other means uh, and then sold out through the Turkish market. And this is several hundred thousand barrels of oil per day. So if that window were closed, ISIS would die. ISIS is an army like any other. It's a CIA secret army, of course. It has these horrendous uh, features that we at least alluded to already. Maybe we talk more. But uh, principally, if you cut their supply line, this thing will wither on the vine. So anybody who ever comes and says, 
it's time to send U.S. forces, ground troops to Syria to fight ISIS or to Iraq to fight ISIS. This is absolutely idiotic. All you need to do is close the border between Turkey and Syria and ISIS will die. They'll have no recruits, no ammunition, no income, uh, and they'll be completely cut off from the outside world. Even all of their fabled computer savvy and computer expertise will be of no value once they're cut off because nobody will be able to get there. And the fact that this is so points to the complicity. It's really, it's beyond complicity. It's practically identity between the Turkish faction led by President uh, Erdogan now and Prime Minister uh, Davutoglu, former foreign minister. So Erdogan and Davutoglu are people who support ISIS. Uh, they run ISIS. They tell ISIS what to do. And how could it be otherwise? Because these are the people who control the logistical supply lines, which ISIS must have or perish. So Erdogan is in a position to dictate to ISIS more or less what they should do next. Uh, his son, as I said, is a key man in the marketing of the oil to get money. That has to be money laundered and so forth as the proceeds come back. There's also Erdogan's daughter, who works, as far as we can tell, in a hospital for wounded terrorists just north of the Syrian-Turkish border. And she's there looking after ISIS, Al-Qaeda, Al-Nusra, all of the fanatics and psychotics that have been swept up across the Middle East when they come back broken up uh, after they've been defeated by the Kurds in particular. She, uh, she tries to get, get them... Uh, to a point where they can be sent back to the battlefield. So, again, uh, if you simply left this to the dynamics on the ground, the Kurdish forces would have, I think, been able in the past month or so, say the month of uh, July to August 2015, would have been fairly um, within reach, let's say, a struggle to be sure, but uh, within reach, the Kurdish forces, and that is the PKK Turks to some extent that are more active over in the east by Iraq, but then you have the YPG Kurds, and they are active in Syria, right? The YPG are the ones you've seen gallantly defeating ISIS in the city of Kobane. You've seen the women fighters on the YPG side, the Kurds, defeating these these. Uh, barbarian monsters of, of ISIS. Uh, so those Kurds had um, an opportunity, I would say, certainly, to close the 68-mile gap. In other words, close that door. If you look at the map, and, and you can see the map on uh, tarpley.net, if you scroll down tarpley.net to uh, the last week in July and then the first week in uh in August, more or less. If you look in there, you're going to find uh, a three-part expose we did about what was going on there. And that, the, in the lead-off of that uh, three-part series, there's a wonderful map that we made that shows the the ISIS supply lines coming down through through this hole in the uh, the window in the border, the 68-mile gap. But it also shows that the Kurds have closed just about every other point along the border, including this hard-fought city of Kobane and others. And then we, even to the to the west of the 68-mile gap, between that and the Mediterranean, the Kurds have pretty much got that sealed as well. Either the Kurds or 
the Syrian Arab army uh, of Assad, between the two of them, they've closed virtually all of this. So by the time we got to uh, the end of uh, July, let's say about the uh, oh the 23rd, 24th of July, we had the following situation. The Kurds were in the process of closing the 68-mile gap. At that point, ISIS would have been cut off from supplies, doomed. And even on top of that, there was a Kurdish spearhead that was approaching the city of Raqqa, the capital of this insane caliphate. So it would have been a crushing one-two punch. Supply lines cut, capital captured, and at that point, these psychotics and murderers would have dispersed across the world, I suppose. But that would have been the end of them. And this is precisely where General John Allen comes into play, right? He decides that he's the ISIS czar. Right now, he works in the State Department, appointed by Skull and Bones Kerry. Uh, Obama had to accept him. Uh, Who knows what Obama thinks of this guy? Uh, We'll say a few words about the White House reactions, which were all to to repudiate this stuff. But at, at the time when the supply line was about to be cut, the border closed and the and the uh, terrorist capital captured. We get this thing on the 24th, 25th, 26th of July, what, three weeks ago now. huh? And um, this is where Alan comes out and says, guess what? And he leaks it. Uh, guess what? We have now decided together with Turkey that we're going to have a safe zone in northern Syria. Right? And, and the safe zone happens to be precisely the gap, right? the 68-mile gap. So that will keep that open. It will be a safe haven for terrorists, defended by the Turkish Air Force. And at the same time, we were told, the Turks are going to stop helping ISIS, and they're going to fight them. They're going to bomb them. Well, we just found out the statistics are something like 500 airstrikes to three. In other words, the, the Turks have launched 500 airstrikes against Kurds especially YPG Kurds, because those are the best fighters in the area, right? They have proven again and again that they can defeat ISIS, right? Thereby deflating this carefully prepared myth of invincibility that ISIS had enjoyed. Uh, and at the same time, uh, the, the airstrikes against, uh, against ISIS by the, by the Turkish Air Force have been negligible, two or three, just some, some window dressing, all in all, a big nothing. So this, uh, this has been an act of tremendous treachery. Uh, when this was leaked, it was leaked in the Washington Post, uh, and I think the New York Times too, on 27th of July of this year. And, uh, well, uh, the White House immediately said no. Uh, the Obama White House said this is not anything we are doing. And there, there would have been, I think, a more vigorous reaction. But you see, Obama was out of town at the time. And this is a very important feature of how this guy Allen operates, right? Most people have no idea whatsoever who this Allen is. He is the U.S. ISIS czar, the State Department's roving ambassador to every country in the anti-ISIS coalition, uh, including Turkey, including Saudi Arabia. And in, in practice, Allen, perhaps he's got a pension deal. I don't know. Right? It, it might be the case. But Uh, What he does is he brings the outrageous demands of terrorist controllers in Turkey and Saudi Arabia, and he dumps them on Obama's desk 
And he says, now you have to do what these Middle Eastern butchers want you to do, right? What the Saudi monarchy wants you to do, what, what Erdogan and Davutoglu want you to do, and indeed the Muslim Brotherhood, right? The, the, uh, the, the common denominator of both of those. So you pick up the uh, Washington Post here, Monday, July 27th, Turkey and U.S. plan safe zone in Syria, and it's according to U.S. and Turkish officials. Well, the White House said no. It's not true during the course of the day. But that has not stopped Allen. Right? Allen has uh, kept rolling. And it's obvious one of the things is Obama doesn't dare fire him because if he did, Allen would then come out and pursue the other goal that he has, which is to torpedo the Iran nuclear accord. And when we're talking about Allen, of course, we're referring to this clique of seditious, disgruntled generals, defeated generals, in many cases disgraced, disgraced like Petraeus, right, for adultery, disgraced uh, like Allen. You know, he had all these thousands of emails going back and forth between himself and Jill Kelly, uh, the garrison belle of the Central Command in Tampa, right? This, she's a Lebanese woman calling herself Jill Kelly. Um, so he was key. Skull and Bones Kerry brought him back. So if Obama says, Alan, you're fired, Alan will turn around and say, I'm going to go on the Sunday shows and say how you sold America out to the Iranians, because right? this is what they want. And behind Alan, again, the outside man is Petraeus. And behind Petraeus, we have his financial backer, Henry Kravis, of the, he's like a multi-billionaire and the head of Kohlberg, Kravis, Roberts, a Wall Street uh, counting house. So that's sort of uh, sort of what it is, a, a desperate maneuver to keep the supply lines open, to keep ISIS alive. Their goal is to save ISIS, not to destroy it. ISIS, of course, is a CIA secret army of a rather traditional type that we got to know during the Cold War, sort of like the Contras, but with, with special uh, features. I'm speaking with economic historian and author Webster Tarpley. Today's show, ISIS Benefits as Turkey Bombs Kurdish Fighters. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. So are you saying that this safe haven or no-fly zone in northern Syria is giving cover for Turkey to bomb Kurdish fighters who've made all these military gains against ISIS terrorists? Yes, exactly. And it, this is a very serious matter. The, the most important uh, sort of scenario to understand goes like this. Right now, the most effective ground force to fight ISIS, to humiliate them, to drive them back, and above all, to wreck this myth of invincibility, right? They, they, if you listen to the American... Uh, News media that you think ISIS are 10 feet tall with magical powers. They're unstoppable, invulnerable, uh, invincible, whatever else, right? <laughs> They're, you know, a gaggle of superheroes. And instead, these people are a ragtag collection of psychotics, right? So how does it work? Uh, you can see when they attack the Iraqi army. Why did they defeat the Iraqi army? Because the Saudis or somebody like this have bribed all the officers so the officers run away, and the recruits, or just like any army, uh, they don't know what to do, and then they can be they can be swept away. So uh, the uh, the goal is 
is to preserve ISIS, right? To keep them going. Uh, and therefore, uh, th- this is the policy pursued by this, by this group that we've, uh, that we've talked about. Well, from where did the ISIS terrorists originate? And who trained and armed them? And for what purposes? Well, uh, the, the ISIS force that you see now is a kind of a catch basin for all the patsies, again, psychotics, fanatics, uh, mercenaries, double agents, whatever you want, in, in the Middle East. And it's something that the U.S. and Britain have been working on for, for quite a while, in the sense that it goes back to slogans that you may remember from 10 years ago, the Anbar awakening or the Sunni awakening. Uh, it's clear that the, um, the tactic used by the U.S., to save face, I guess, in the Iraq war involved, uh, instead of having all of Iraq lined up against the U.S., right, which would have been a loser, and, and they were losing pretty badly for a while, uh, under the guidance of Petraeus, they said, well, well, we'll provoke a civil war between Sunnis and Shiites, and then that will relieve the pressure on the U.S. invading and occupying forces. So that's what they did. And after that, you see that there's a there's a force of people left over, right, of fighters. Uh, so by, you know, by 2008, 2009, it was clear that, that that group was there and it was available for use. And indeed, you had to use it. So a lot of those people ended up through various um, mediations. They got into Libya and they were the rebel force that was then hurled against Gaddafi. And after they had done their work of destruction and murder in Libya, there was then uh, an airlift and a sea lift that went from Benghazi, Libya, to Injerlik, Turkey, the air base, or to the ports of, uh, let's say, the southwest part of Turkey. I think Alexandretta is one of them. So a lot of terrorists were coming in off boats. They were housed for a time in Turkish hotels, and they were then sent across the border into Syria, right, to become the terrorist rebels of Syria, the death squads, which I, I denounced in an um, interview on Russia Today in uh, November 2011, almost four years ago, that this was not a rebellion of Syrians. These were death squads that had been sent in uh, from the outside, right, and they were they were already massacring women and children. I remember in a hospital in the city of Homs in an Alawite neighborhood where a, a woman doctor, very well educated, said, well, I'm, I'm going to have to leave and go home now and pick up my children, but I'm afraid I'm going to be killed by a sniper because the snipers get up on rooftops and they, they kill people. They shoot them uh, through the back of their car. They try to kill the women who are the mothers who are trying to pick up children, and they, they've killed the, the, the children too. And she said, all we want from Assad is tanks, infantry. We want government sharpshooters on every roof and so forth. So the idea of a, of a monstrous force that slaughters women and children, this is not new. So you can see how it's been moved around, right? This is like a chess piece. So uh, at a certain point in the Syrian conflict, when the going against Assad got pretty rough for these terrorists, because Hezbollah had come in and other aid was being was being delivered, these people were then rolled up and 
there was even an announcement made. I wish I could find it in some uh, newspapers. Maybe somebody wants to help me. Who's got who's got a really good uh, you know uh, IT line on some of this stuff? There was actually an agreement made among the terrorist rebels of Syria that some of them would continue to fight Assad, but that ISIS would go to the other end. Right? They'd go all the way to the the northeast of Syria or as far east as they could go, and they would occupy that territory. And that's what they wanted. ISIS did not want to fight Assad. That was too dangerous. They wanted to go and commit atrocities against civilians. In other words, Sharia law and other monstrous impositions that they they tried to impose. Uh, and that's what they did. And then at a certain point, as I say, this whole thing was moved into Iraq. Uh, the Iraqi officers were bribed. The officers ran away first, according to all accounts. Uh, that continues the tradition of bribery. Uh, the U.S. had bribed the Iraqi officers in the first Gulf War under George Bush the Elder and in the Iraq War of 2003 and so forth under George Bush the Younger. So all of those advantages were put together to create this force of ISIS. Um, we, right now we have this, uh, this uh, psychopath... Baghdadi, the so-called caliph, um, I think he's he's sort of a stand-in. He's like a regent, right? He's not he's not the real thing. The real caliph is Erdogan. You have to remember the Turkish sultan was the caliph of Islam up until shortly after 1920 or thereabouts, right after World War One, when the Ottoman Empire collapsed and there was no more Turkish sultan. Then this question of who's the caliph became uh, hard to answer, right? And and under uh, Ataturk in Turkey, they didn't want to hear anything about about caliphs. But right now, given the fact that Erdogan and Davutoglu are their adherents of what is called the neo-Ottoman school, in other words, they believe in the restoration of the Ottoman Empire. So they would like to have as much as they can, right? Remember, the Ottoman Empire was uh, Syria. Uh, it was uh, Iraq, it was Saudi Arabia, it was everything all the way down to the uh, to uh, Yemen. That was all the Ottoman Empire. So that's that is in effect what uh, what Erdogan seems to want. So he is a madman. He's as mad as a hatter, as mad as a March Hare. And Davutoglu is the ideologue who tells Erdogan that all these things are indeed written. Right? They're written and they're going to happen. Right? That they're in the magic. Uh, book of fate. So this is a complete monstrosity. Who is supporting the Kurds in their fight with ISIS? Well, the U.S. Uh, has been at least coordinating at a fairly modest level with the Kurdish uh, fighters. Now, when we say Kurds, we have to watch out. Uh, there are three kinds of Kurds, at least, and because they've they've been in different countries, they've also tended to grow apart, so they're not uh, so homogeneous, right? But there are there are three. The first one, once again, is the YPG. Now, those you admired uh, on television last summer when they successfully defeated, right, in a head-on pitched battle, defeated ISIS, right? What everybody said could never be done at the city of Kobane, and Kobane is precisely an example of these border crossing towns where it was so important to uh, seal that particular supply line for ISIS. And you also remember that the Turks uh, did everything to help ISIS win. They 
They allowed ISIS to use Turkey as a privileged sanctuary. In other words, a safe haven for terrorists. But this time on on the Turkish side, they had uh, ISIS artillery firing across the border into Syria to hit the uh, the Kurds. And when that didn't work, they even got Turkish tanks to line up and start taking pot shots at the Kurdish uh, fighters. So that was about as, as bad as it could be. These YPG people are, are probably the best, right? Those are the ones with the women in the front line. So these are heroic uh, people, right? They've, they've certainly staked a claim to a, to a nation of their own. Then you have the PKK Kurds. This is not quite so pretty. These people are rather brutal. They're Marxist-Leninists. Uh, a couple of days ago, two women thought to be close to the PKK uh, took a you know a terrorist um, attack on the U.S. consulate. I guess the the PKK uh, you could say they have women fighters too, but this is more like. Um, these are sort of suicide missions, right? The ones where you have the women actually organically in these units, right? That's what we saw at Kobane. And I think that tended to capture the, the imagination of the world. So that's a great thing. PKK, again, is, is um, not so nice. But then again, they are a significant um, force. And there had been a dialogue, right? There had been a peace negotiation between the Turkish government in Ankara and the PKK. And that, of course, was immediately aborted as soon as it became clear that the vast majority of these airstrikes was going really against the PKK, although also against the, the YPG. So that's the, that's the PKK. And again, they, they tend to be uh, inside Turkey, right? Again, this area of southeast Anatolia, in other words, the, the extreme southeast corner of Turkey, where it comes up against uh, Iraq in particular, right? That's that's the uh, area where the the PKK is strongest. And a lot of the bombings are inside uh, Turkey, right? In these areas, the Turkish Air Force bombs its own uh, territory. And then you have the government of the northern Iraqi Kurdistan, I guess, a Kurdish province. And this is the government in uh, Erbil, and that's the Barzani family, right? Barzani, it's a sort of a hereditary post of the ethnarch, right? The, uh, the leader of the Kurdish ethnic group inside the Ottoman Empire. The Barzani family have that. And they are, uh, unfortunately, quite treacherous. And in some ways, the idea is that this oligarchical family looks out for itself exclusively and not for any Kurdish interest. They certainly don't care about YPG Kurds. Indeed, they hate them and fear them because both the YPG and the PKK are more egalitarian and more uh, modern, really, than this, this essentially dictatorship of the Barzani family. The other thing we have to add, Middle East sources always say that the Israeli role is very big in this uh, Kurdish province of northern northern uh, Iraq. So uh, those are the three principal groups. Politically and militarily, the best is the YPG, then the PKK, and then Barzani, uh, way behind. Well, then who is supporting the Kurds in their fight against ISIS? Well, I figure the U.S. is, is helping them to some extent, right? The U.S. is giving them airstrikes, probably logistical support, I think intelligence too, telling them who's moving where, and, and things like this. So that was working rather well. And you could say that by the middle of July, 
ISIS was in very big trouble. And that's the point where uh, Erdogan springs into action as he had two years before, right? Two years before he came out with this report saying, oh, uh, look at this. This is terrible. Assad has gassed these people at Ghouta and the world almost went to general war over that. The story on that one from inside sources in the Middle East is that the British figured out uh, that this was a fraud and more important than the fraud, they decided that that was not good for Her Majesty's uh, government. So they uh, essentially set up the situation where the British House of Commons voted against the war. Very useful, very good, most welcome at the time, but based again in, you know, a kind of a secret intelligence uh, uh, analysis. And after that, that's when Obama began to get cold feet. I'm speaking with economic historian and author Webster Tarpley. Today's show, ISIS benefits as Turkey bombs Kurdish fighters. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. I think that what is most uh, confusing is the U.S. support for both the Kurds fighting ISIS and for ISIS itself. Now, you have talked about the origins of ISIS. Now, I remember when they first marched into northern Iraq, a thousand of them, and took over uh, Mosul, which had a 30,000 standing army that just uh, put down their arms and walked away. So so the U.S. is supporting both ISIS and fighting ISIS. It doesn't make any sense. Well, it doesn't make sense because in some ways these are two parts of the U.S. government, right? In other words, you have a, a CIA policy, I would say, which is the most rotten, which says we're going to support ISIS. ISIS is a CIA secret army. The goal that they have with ISIS is, as you can see from some of the patterns that have emerged over the past three weeks, they want to move ISIS east, move ISIS towards Iran, first of all, right? Use ISIS as a secret army to attack Iran. And that goes together with uh, the Petraeus-Allen commitment to, to torpedo the nuclear accord. And then after that, turn north and head for the Russian border, head for Chechnya or Chechenia, right? This area, troubled area, Grozny, the capital, and that entire ethnic labyrinth of the Caucasus and Transcaucasus would be a playground where ISIS could cause tremendous damage to Russia. That's the ultimate purpose of ISIS. So the parts of the U.S. government that support ISIS are the dirtiest parts, right? The intelligence community. Um, if you look at uh, the Pentagon, uh, interestingly enough, there's a there's a different view. Um, the idea being that the Pentagon is glad to work with the YPG. Uh, they think that they perform well. Uh, they deliver. Um, and, and there's also the question of, of uh, the arrogance and impudence of the Turks. Uh, but generally, before we leave this topic, you can see it's two sides of the U.S. government supporting two different uh, propositions. The, the entire federal government is completely factionalized, right? Otherwise, how can you have Allen saying we now have or leaking, right? Because he doesn't come out and say it. He has that leaked to the stenographers at the Washington Post. Karen DeYoung and Liz Sly here uh, are the ones telling us on July 27th that there's going to be a joint U.S.-Turkish safe zone and no-fly zone 
in northern Syria, according to U.S. and Turkish uh, officials. So that's that's the that's that's one group. But then there are other groups that say no. And in particular, we've heard from the other group last week. And uh, I would just rather than me trying to give you all the details, go to tarpley.net. And I talk a lot about a signal piece, uh, a very important uh, uh, development. It's a signal piece of the kind we used to have in the Cold War. In other words, you read Fox News and you come across this article. It has nothing to do with the editorial policy of Fox News. It's something that people in the Pentagon wanted to get into the public eye, uh, and they did it. And uh, the idea being that they're going to tell you there what happened on – uh, in particular, July 24th. This is the moment when this entire current phase began. The idea is that on July 22nd or 23rd, Obama, according to Middle East sources, Obama called Erdogan of Turkey on the phone and said, if you don't stop supporting ISIS, I will kick you out of NATO. And then he added, I want you to torpedo the Turkish stream gas pipeline, right? So you can see it, it's, it sounds authentic. It's a mixed bag, right? So, uh, and indeed, uh, as far as we know, the Turkish stream has been called off by Erdogan under pressure from his own generals, as well as from the, uh, from the U.S. So that, you know, remember there was South Stream that was uh, uh, torpedoed. Then there was going to be Turkish Stream. And now that one has been torpedoed, but that's that's a longer term issue. It's a very serious matter, but a longer term issue. Right now, we've got this side of imagine Obama telling Erdogan, you've got to uh, essentially stop supporting ISIS or, or I'm going to force you out of out of the Western uh, alliance. Now, the day after, in other words, on the 24th of July, approximately, this is when Obama went off to Kenya. Uh, the modus operandi of Allen is he strikes when the president is out of town. If you go back to December of last year, around December uh, 15th or so, this was when uh, Obama was in Australia. And it's at that point that Congressman Royce of the House Foreign Relations Committee comes up and says, we're having a policy review and we may decide to bomb Assad. And then Obama was asked in Brisbane, this is the famous Brisbane no, Obama was asked, do you have an active program to overthrow Assad? And the answer from Obama was, no, we do not have a program to overthrow Assad. So that sort of uh, deflated that little coup d'etat. So whenever the president goes out of town, so it means including now, but uh, on what happened on the 24th of July was like this. Obama flies off to Kenya. Allen gets on the phone with Erdogan saying, what are we going to do? This is a disaster. He, he's threatening you. We'll declare that the Turkish government will now allow the United States Air Force to use the Incirlik Air Base, which is right close to ISIS country, right, southern Turkey. We'll allow this to go on. Airplanes, drones, whatever you want. The Turkish government is going to start bombing ISIS. And of course, we, we, we saw what that fraud was, right? They do one attack on ISIS, a pinprick, and then 500 on the Kurds. So this is a, it's a complete lie. It's a complete bait and switch, as I said at the time. And then uh, this came out in the press on Monday, uh, July 27th. And the White House briefing that day said, no, we are not doing any of this. But then what happened on the afternoon of the 24th, in the midst of all this, there is a, 
a central command uh, emanation, and you have the name of it in front of you, right? This. Um, what are you talking about? The combined air and the space? combined combined air and space operations center. The Combined Air and Space Operations Center, which nobody had ever heard of. I mean, this was secret, at least as far as I know, this was secret. A Turkish officer walks into this thing. This is the command center for the entire um, air operation in Syria and close by Iraq. So a guy comes in, this Turkish liaison officer comes in and he says, you have 10 minutes to get all your planes south of Mosul. You know, but you've got to get all your planes way south of the Turkish Syrian border. So get out of our airspace. We're claiming it. So there was a lot of bad blood there. And when the Turks started bombing, it was expected that they'd bomb ISIS, as they said, but they don't do that. They go and bomb the YPG. And the problem with the YPG is you've got U.S. special forces with them. So U.S. military almost got killed when these Turkish bombers come in and they complain, right? We didn't know their call signs. We didn't know their frequencies. We couldn't talk to them. There was no coordination, no nothing. And then the bottom line is we were outraged. U.S. military officers, loyal ones, not like Allen, loyal officers say we were outraged that Turkey was treating us in this way. So there's a lot of uh, rage going back and forth. And then uh, you see Soon after that, after this Fox article, then on the weekend, Germany and the U.S., with the implicit backup of many more NATO countries, say to Turkey, you don't need these Patriot missile batteries because you're attacking the Kurds, which you shouldn't be doing. You're attacking the Kurds and not ISIS. So therefore, we're not we're, we're not going to help you with uh, anti-missile or anti-aircraft defense. So this it's a big struggle, and of course our heroes of the uh, the controlled corporate media, the mainstream media, the prostitutes, whatever we can call them, they have been absolutely out to lunch on this issue, except for this one article on Fox News. And again, I guarantee you that article was not really written by Fox News. That was written by somebody in the Pentagon who was uh, factionalizing against Allen. One of the things we have to remember about ISIS are Allen is that he's widely hated by his military colleagues, right? The other generals and flag officers and admirals hate Allen. So just the fact that he's there with his machinations means that there's, there's going to be a, uh, a backlash against him. What do you make of the bombings within Turkey, including the U.S. embassy? Well, that's inevitable. In other words, if... if uh, Erdogan and Davutoglu say, well, we, we had a dialogue, a peace process going with the PKK Kurds in particular, but now we can't do that anymore, right? We're, we're, we're sick and tired of that. So there can be no peace talks. There can be no peace. Well, at that point, the fanatical supporters of the PKK come forward and they say, well, then we're going to bomb the U.S. embassy because at that point in their mind, they see they're obviously going to think, Whatever Erdogan does is approved by the U.S., right? And this, of course, is this is a very stupid mistake to make. I, I see a lot of people making the mistake. They think, oh, the president is always in command. That's absolutely ridiculous, right? We see a case where Obama has explicitly repudiated a policy, and Turkey and significant parts of the U.S. apparatus, i.e. Allen, are trying to keep that policy going. In other words, the the no-fly zone and the and the uh, safe haven 
for terrorists, right? An American president has virtually no power unless he's willing to fight for it. Obama has been, on the whole, a disaster. He's been a little bit better lately, though, and I, I would urge people to look at it uh, that way. Right now, it does not make a whole lot of sense to attack Obama. You want to attack Allen, and indeed, there's a campaign. Hashtag fire Allen for ISIS. Hashtag fire Allen, A-L-L-E-N, the number four, right? Arabic four, ISIS, capital ISIS, right? I-S-I-S. Uh, that's the ticket out of this. In other words, if you want to know, you know, you, it sounds like this thing is a, is a labyrinth, right? It's a Byzantine labyrinth of intrigue. Yeah, it's coming out of <laughs> Istanbul, Constantinople, right? So more Byzantine than this you can't get. So uh, the, the way, though, to deal with it is you've got to subsume all of that with your own programmatic thrust. And in this case, that's fire Allen. Get Allen out of there, right? And don't let this happen. People then say, oh, come on, uh, Obama, I, we, we know he's a coward, but couldn't he just fire this guy? Couldn't, you know, couldn't somebody come out and say that he wants to spend more time with his family? It's clear that Allen has got a blackmail and extortion racket going, and it goes like this. Allen says to Obama, are you going to fire me? Go ahead and do it. I'll be on the Sunday shows and I'll denounce you for selling out to Iran. And this is, again, this is his other goal, right? He wants to have the U.S., uh, Iran, and indeed, you know, the six uh, great powers, actually seven, because Europe is one of them. So the five permanent members of the Security Council, plus Germany, plus European Union, have all approved this Iran nuclear deal. Uh the one that is publicly against it is Israel, right? Netanyahu. But Erdogan hates this accord, right? Erdogan is a million percent against this because he says, wait a minute, the U.S. essentially organizing the Middle East together with Iran? Wait a minute, I'm the neo-Ottoman emperor of Turkey. Turkey is going to be the center, not Iran. So there's a huge freak out on that too. And you often hear, that Saudi Arabia doesn't like the Iran nuclear deal, right? Qatar, all these things. Wait a minute. Turkey is absolutely fanatically opposed. So this would be another good reason to fire Allen. But Obama's, uh, he's afraid to do it at this point because he, he thinks that that would kill the Iran nuclear uh, accord. So this is the reality of Washington uh, at the present time. I'm speaking with economic historian and author Webster Tarpley. Today's show, ISIS benefits as Turkey bombs Kurdish fighters. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. So why is General uh, John Allen against the Iran nuclear accord? He wants to attack Iran? Is that what you're saying? Well, th this is a clique of neocons, right? These people... When you, when you look at the neocons, right, as they were under George Bush the Younger or as, as they are today in the advisory board of Jeb, Jeb Bush, he's got all those guys, right? All the discredited neocon warmongers, the madmen, the ones who told us it was a cakewalk, they said you'd be welcome, that it wouldn't cost you anything. In other words, that entire litany of insane promises those guys are still there, and they have an emanation in the military world. And we have to remember, it's Petraeus and Allen. This is the center of what has to be uh, defeated. Allen on the inside, 
But remember, Allen is a disgraced military officer, right? He was sending these emails back and forth with this, uh, this socialite, right? This was very, very unsavory. And Petraeus, doubly disgraced, right? Once with the mistress Paula Broadwell, to whom he gave U.S. state secrets. And uh, the other side of it then is uh, that he, uh, well, he was an adulterer, right? And military officers are not supposed to do that. Uh, all evidence to the contrary. This is frowned on. So two disgraced and dishonored generals with all that money behind them. And then you'd have to say, who are the other members of that clique? This is hard to answer because obviously they don't like to identify themselves. This is precisely, if, if you wanted to be politically active in the United States today and be serious about it, you would help find the other members of this Petraeus uh, or Alan Petraeus or Petraeus Allen clique. They may indeed be sponsored by Skull and Bones Kerry. Um, that's certainly how Allen was brought in. There's a, there's a Wall Street Journal article from April of 2014 where the argument is Kerry, Secretary of State John Kerry, and Samantha Power, the humanitarian bomber at the United Nations, are not happy because they have not been able to start bombing Syria. They want to do that, and therefore they're going to bring in Petraeus and another guy, General Keene, he used to be the deputy chief of staff, right? The number two military person uh, of the United States. Keene is very closely connected to the Kagan family. Uh, Kimberly Kagan, that's the Institute for the Study of War or for the Promotion of War. Um, Donald Kagan, Frederick Kagan. Frederick is the uh, husband of Kimberly um, Robert Kagan at uh, Brookings, right? So it's American Enterprise Institute, Institute for the Study of War and uh, Brookings Institution, right? So that's, that's the group. And then some months after that, in the late summer of, uh, what, 20, 2014 now, uh, this uh, character, Alan, was put in as the ISIS sock. So... The media are not interested. If you say, is there a seditious clique of officers in the Pentagon who are blackmailing Obama? Uh, CBS News is not going to report this. So this is up to us. But I would say to people, if if you have a brain, stop attacking Obama. Find out some of these things. This is where the action is. Because we just had a coup d'etat. This little caper, right, of the weekend of the 24th, 25th, and 26th of July, that was a putsch. That was an action by generals to seize power for themselves, Allen and others. Uh, The one that I think may also be a part of it is this guy, General Breedlove. This is U.S. Air Force General Philip Breedlove, who is the NATO commander, right? That's an important post. You betcha. And he's been warmongering against Russia, He's, he's a certifiable madman. He's the one with, you know, let's send, uh, let's send heavy weapons into Ukraine. Let's, send, let's put U.S. forces on the ground in Ukraine. Let's have maneuvers in Ukraine. Uh, all insane. Breedlove, uh, in the week after this coup, in other words, in the week that started on Monday, July 27th, Breedlove was interviewed by Gwen Eiffel of uh, Public Television, and she lobbed a few softballs at him, 
And one was, uh, interestingly or usefully, uh, is there a no-fly zone? Is there a safe haven? And Breedlove says, no, there is none. And at that point, she said, now let's go on to the next question. Uh, that, I think, is a, uh, a deception by Breedlove. In other words, he, he knows that the White House doesn't want it, but he also knows that some of his co-factioneers, I think, are, are in favor of it. So these are all things that people really need to be more sophisticated about, right? And stop with this eternal litany of Obama, you know, is bringing on the end of the world. Before you attack Obama, make make very sure that you, you're not uh, missing out on people in the immediate entourage who are much, much worse than Obama, right? Who, who, uh, who deserve to be attacked a whole lot more. Because otherwise what you're doing is counterproductive. Has President Putin of the uh, Russian Federation weighed in on the Turkish-Syrian conflict uh, specifically with regard to this uh, no-fly safe haven? I don't know if he said said anything about the no-fly zone or safe haven, but there's a very big intervention. And thank you for for asking this. Um, About, what, 10 days ago, two weeks ago, we got this report that Putin had called in the Turkish ambassador. And this was described as a lengthy and heated exchange. And one of the questions was, uh, who's responsible for the problems in Syria? Putin said, Turkey is, which I think is true. And the Turkish ambassador said, no, you are, you Putin. And of course, Assad, right? You're responsible because you helped Assad. At which point, Putin is uh, reliably reported, I think. Putin is reported to have said, in that case, tell your president Erdogan that he can go to hell with his ISIS terrorists because what I, Putin, will do, I will prepare a big Stalingrad. That's it. Big, big Stalingrad. Right? No two ways about it. A big Stalingrad for all of those terrorists who are backed by Saudi Arabia and Turkey, who are presently in uh, northern Syria. And he also, he suggested that one step on the way to that would be for Russia to break diplomatic relations with Turkey, and that China and Iran would be supporting Russia in this action. So that was an ultimatum, right? Stop supporting ISIS terrorism. It's actually interesting. Erdogan has now gotten that ultimatum from two people, from Obama and from Putin. Right. It's remarkable. Uh, so maybe that means that uh, that uh, Erdogan may fall soon. Right. Because normally when you get into a position where you get the White House and the Kremlin against you with that vehemence, that's not a good uh, argument for your uh, your longevity. Now, let me just I just have to point out about this. Some people claim that this this report uh, that it never happened. And indeed, uh, the official spokesman of Putin is this guy, uh, Dmitry Peskov. So he was asked at an official point, are you uh, confirming that Putin made this ultimatum to the Turkish ambassador? It never happened, says Peskov. Well, what's he going to say? This was a non-denial denial. Peskov said, we never said that Erdogan is a dictator. But wait a minute, that was the least of it, right? There was the stuff about go to hell. You're supporting ISIS terrorists, right? We'll get you with a big Stalingrad. 
we'll have China and, and Iran on our side, right? This was much more. So this was a very narrow, non-denial denial. Later in the same press conference, Peskov said, uh, and by the way, reports that Russia is going to send troops to the Middle East are not true. And you have to know that in the past, uh, what, month and a half, there have been reports, even including the unit names, that Russia is preparing a couple of paratroop divisions and other forces to go into northern Syria, right, to do precisely that, to arrange a massacre and a big Stalingrad against these, these terrorists that are there. It's perfectly feasible. Uh, so I think that non-denial denial, followed by a non-denial denial about are you ready to intervene? Because I think they are. Uh, it's like it's sort of like this. If if nobody's talking about it really, and the spokesman for the Kremlin comes out and says, uh, "No, we're not considering this alternative of sending troops into the Middle East," I think that means you better watch out because we might. That's the way I read that one. And then I just as, as another piece of um, evidence, there's in, more recently within the past week. There's a report about a conference between Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov and the Saudi Foreign Minister. Now, this is the new one. This is not uh, Prince Faisal. This is the new uh, Saudi Foreign Minister, Joubert, used to be ambassador here in Washington. So uh, Joubert is reading a statement, and <laughs> Lavrov is then reported by many wire services this time. This is not just a couple of them saying you blankety blank imbecile or you dummy, but with an expletive, right? A heavy duty expletive thrown in. So I think there is great rage uh, in the Russian uh, command structure in particular against Turkey. And you have to remember in the 19th century, there was generally speaking a Russo-Turkish war every generation. The last big one, was World War One, which included a Russo-Turkish war, which brought down both. But but in this case, uh, I think it would go very, very hard uh, on the Turks. And I have to say, in terms of the news agencies that did report the Putin ultimatum to Turkey, these were primarily Iranian. So this was FARS news agency, right? F-A-R-S, which is sort of semi-official. The Iranian National News Agency, which I think is official. And um, Press TV. I myself, on the, on the day of the, uh, of the stuff going, going down, I was interviewed by Press TV and they said, we have reports that Putin said these things to the Turkish ambassador. What do you think? And I said, I think that sounds eminently plausible, even though they're going to deny it, right? Don't expect them to to uh, you know, to to confirm that in public, and then also Al Manar. Al Manar is the uh, Hezbollah uh, news agency, and there's some rather intelligent people there too. So uh, you put that together: Fars, uh, Iranian National News Agency, Press TV, Al Manar, and then some others around the world, some people in Pakistan and and so forth. That I think is uh, that's good enough to say that this is uh, very likely to have happened. And when you put this stuff in about the troops and the non-denial denial and some other things and Lavrov cursing at the Saudis, right? Saudi and Turkey being sort of a, a strategic block, I think you have to take that very seriously. 
Webster Tarpley, thank you very much. Thank you. I've been speaking with Webster Tarpley. Today's show has been ISIS Benefits as Turkey Bombs Kurdish Fighters. Webster Tarpley is an economic historian, author, and lecturer. He is author of Against Oligarchy, Surviving the Cataclysm, Your Guide Through the Worst Financial Crisis in Human History, 9-11 Synthetic Terror Made in the USA, Obama, The Unauthorized Biography, and co-author of George Bush, The Unauthorized Biography. Webster Tarpley is a leader and activist with the United Front Against Austerity at againstausterity.org. Visit the Tax Wall Street Party at twsp.us and sign up for the daily briefing. Visit his website at tarpley.net. That's T-A-R-P-L-E-Y dot N-E-T. Email him at tarpley at tarpley.net. Guns and Butter is produced by Bonnie Faulkner, Yaromako, and Tony Rango. Email us at faulkner at gunsandbutter.org. That's F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R at G-U-N-S-A-N-D-B-U-T-T-E-R dot O-R-G. Visit gunsandbutter.org to sign up for our email list and receive our newsletter. Guns and Butter Online now includes a new website, an active Twitter feed, show archives, and a blog. Follow us at G&B Radio. Hey yo, these are some serious times that we live in, G. And our new world order is about to begin. You know what I'm saying? Now the question is, are you ready for the real revolution, which is the evolution of the mind? If you seek, then you shall find that we all come from the divine. You dig what I'm saying? Now if you take heed to the words of wisdom that are written on the walls of life, then universally we will stand and divided we will fall because love conquers all. You understand what I'm saying? This is a call for all you sleeping souls. Wake up and take control of your own cipher and be on the lookout for the spirit sniper trying to steal your life. You know what I'm saying? Look what decides yourself for peace. Give thanks.